But I've got a question for you. It might seem a bit of an abstract question, but hands up who has got a hoover at home? Who's got a hoover? Anybody got a hoover? Or do you have filthy carpets? Yay. I think we've nearly all kind of put our hands up, but there's a bit of a question, isn't there? Because, you know, how many of us that have a hoover actually have a hoover hoover? You know? It's one of those words, isn't it, that we... um, it's got a double meaning because of it being the manufacturer, but we also use it as the generic term for a vacuum cleaner. You know, I wasn't asking somebody to suddenly volunteer and hoover the church. You know, I, I, I wasn't going into that place. We do have a vacuum cleaner here, and we do have a cleaner that comes in. Um, but we do ask folk to tidy up after themselves anyway. But um, we, we have that, that sense that words have different understandings, different meanings. And, and when we ask a question and uh, as we answer it, you know, the, the, we, we, can, we can miss something somewhere in between. It depends when we answer a question, you know, on a number of things. Uh, have, we, have we heard and understood uh, the question that's being asked. You know, I'm pretty deaf in one ear at the moment. It's really, really blocked up. It's been gnawing me for ages. I don't always answer the question that's been asked, sometimes because I've not actually heard it properly. You know, that's the reality. Do we know the answer to a question that's being asked? Sometimes it's asked of us, and we're like, oh, don't really know that. You know, and we might give an answer that is what we think should be the right answer. And then there's always the subject of are you willing and able to give that answer to the question? You know, most politicians kind of go on a completely different route, don't they? Because they want to give their own answer rather than the actual question that's been asked, whatever political party they come from. In the original text, the Greek text of our passage today, there are three different words for fish. You know, that thing that swims about and then appears on the barbecue. You know, and that's not counting the one that's the verb, to fish. And I imagine over the years that many of us have, have heard the word that's ichthus for fish, a Greek word for fish. And uh, particularly because uh, it, it's kind of a Greek anagram of uh, Jesus Christ, God's son, saviour. You know, and it became a, a symbol drawn in dirt for the early believers. You know, the, uh, the sort of the swishy thing. And we might see it stuck on the back of a car sometimes as a symbol that uh, that person's a Christian. Or even, uh, uh, I've got a different cross on today. 
um, but it's the one that's the, the symbol of the United Reformed Church, uh, our denomination. And it's a cross that's got a fish going through the middle of it. Um, when you see it sometimes, it, it looks as if the fish has been kind of speared. Um, but I don't think that's the actual intention. But it, it's the believers coming uh, to the cross. In our passage, as the multitude of fish are drawn in, the 153 fish that are caught up in the net, these are ichthys. These are this common form of fish, but the, there's a couple other words in there, and, and we might have expected them, John the writer, or Jesus who is speaking and that John's writing down, to, to use that word ichthys throughout, but he doesn't. And we have to ask, why? Well, what's the word and what's the question that's being asked? As Jesus stands on the shoreline and the people in the boat don't know who he is, he calls out to them a question about fish that are prosphagian. Our Bible's translated, yeah, friends, haven't you any fish? Where the, um, where the word for fish is actually more like um, fish relish. You know, I don't know what fish relish really is. I mean, the closest I could think of, wait a minute, is a jar of fishy paste, right? Fancy sardine and tomato paste, you know. It says sardine. I think it's got about four different fish in it, which is quite good going considering how small the jar is, including sprats and all sorts of stuff. So it's sort of fishy relish. Um, you know, you got any fish relish in that boat? It, it was a colloquial term for just something to eat. Have you got something to eat, which is a bit different than saying, have you caught fish? You know, you expect, you hope that the fishermen are going to have caught fish. They don't always, and certainly by the examples we see in the Bible on two separate occasions here and much earlier at the time of the call of the disciples, they don't do pretty well. You know, they're out all night and they don't pull anything in. But we wouldn't expect them to have a processed thing. You know, maybe not quite as much processing as goes into that actual jar. But you wouldn't necessarily have expected them to have that. So, so is Jesus actually asking, have they caught fish? Or is he asking them a different question? Not about how productive they've been with the fishing nets, but something about what he'd asked them to do earlier, much earlier, three years earlier, when he had called them after a similar night's expedition. Is he asking perhaps about their learning and about their teaching? 
Do you have anything to add flavor to life that you can feed me with? Is that the sort of question that he's asking? What are you folk in the boat going to do now? What can you feed me with? How will you nourish me? Remember that we cannot live on bread alone. What is it that you've caught? Not fish, not COVID, though quite a few in the church have. What passion for God have you caught that you are going to be feeding people with? The disciples in the boat don't see who's before them. And they think of the fish. No, we've not caught anything. The disciples in the boat are too busy with what they're doing. You know, they've not moved their mind into the new gear that they have to. They've not got that change of direction fully under their belt yet. For three years, they've known Jesus. They've traveled with Jesus. And yet there's still those sort of disciples that are just learning. Maybe we all are much of the time but they need to become disciples that also share, that also go out and remember the story. It's fine to be a fisher and also a disciple, but they've forgotten the priority of that, taking the message further, of being a disciple 24-7. What's your focus in life? Is your faith more than a Sunday morning? As Christian disciples, we are to live our faith each day in whatever setting God calls us to be in. It might be on a boat. It might be going to the shops. It might be tending for children or grandchildren or in a school or a hospital, or a care setting, or a factory, or an office. But we're also a disciple when we are in those places. We'll be thinking more of that in the coming weeks and months as we journey ahead with LICC, the London Institute of Contemporary Christianity, as we seek to become whole life disciples Disciples in the place that we find ourselves each day of the week. Jesus calls to the people he knew as disciples, the fishermen. He shouts out that they are to throw the net on the right and says that if they follow his instruction, they will get their reward. There's a sense here of the message seek, and you will find if you do it, God's presence will be there. 
And there's more than a hint that they had stopped thinking of who they were called to be. The need to listen and to follow. And when they do, the net is full. And it's a message for all of us. It, we might be in a relationship with God, but how healthy is that relationship? Are we listening for the voice of Jesus? Are we guided by the Holy Spirit? Are we living with the love of the Father? The full net awakens Peter and the others from their slumber. The night has passed. Their new day is dawning, and they can sense the presence of Jesus. It's their third encounter with the risen Lord. Easter day, Thomas, and now a net full of fish. On the shore is breakfast. Jesus has fish and bread. Not just any fish. This is the third word of fish that's got up here. It's not not really swimmy, flapping about fish. It's not chopped up in a dish fish. It's uh, the fish that has been processed, gutted, cooked, and is ready to eat, ready to give nourishment, ready to feed mind, body, and soul. And that's where the, the focus of the passage moves on to. Having earlier said to the folk in the boat, have you got anything to feed me with? Jesus says, come, I'll give you something to eat. He offers to feed them. And we get the feeding of Peter and the disciples by Jesus on the shore. Now, this is the third time, and any time that there's a number, date, name, or place, we're challenged to think, is there a specific reason for that? We, you know, third time, three is that number of resurrection and new beginnings, and it's breakfast time. It's the dawn of a new day. There's a new beginning here. And who's it a new beginning for? It's for these disciples. Five of them get named at the start of the passage. But you see, it's not just those five. There's another two on top of that. There's seven disciples. And seven is a number throughout the Scriptures that shows completeness completeness of not just the 11. It would have said the disciples were there rather than working out that there were seven of them. But there's a representation here that it's the disciples throughout time. It's as if we were all gathered together in that place. And the disciples are called to think differently, to be awake to listen to the word and to live it, not in their own strength, 
but fed by the Lord. With the seven on the shore, Jesus takes bread and gives it to them. And likewise with the fish. And John's gospel doesn't have a narrative of the Lord's Supper uh, in the way that we see in the other uh, gospels or uh, in the letter to the Corinthians. But we see two particular miraculous meals where Jesus shares in a sacramental manner the water to wine at the wedding in Cana where Nathaniel comes from. There, right at the start of the ministry, the disciples are only just being called, and it is said to occur on the third day. And we looked at that a few months ago too, didn't we? And then there is the time that is said to be near Passover on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, in the place that we are in our passage today, where bread and two small opsaria, which are the fish that's in the passage here, fish that's been cooked and prepared, are taken, blessed, broken, and shared, which is the pattern we associate with communion. The breakfast on the shore is a miraculous in the supply of fish, but is different in an important way, an important manner. No one has this time petitioned Jesus saying there's a shortage. Nobody's been saying that they're hungry. You know, at the wedding at Cana, the, the servants have come up to Mary and said, oh, we've run out of wine. What are we going to do? There's no wine here. At the feeding of the 5,000, the folk have been grumbling, oh, no, getting hungry. We've been here ages. Nothing to eat. Each of those times, Jesus gets petitioned about what there is. What can we eat? What can we drink? What's on offer? But no one said that they're hungry in this passage. Jesus simply knows that it's the morning and the new day's beginning, and they need to be fed to be God's people. They need to be fed. And then he calls to Peter and says that you have to do feeding. Like how the passage has different words for fish. The ichthus that was in the net, the, the fishy paste or relish, the, the fish that's been cooked and is ready for eating. There's famously in Greek different words for love. And this passage has two of them. Agape and Philo. Do you have agape, God's unconditional love? And do you have Philo, the love that you have for your brother? And that's what Jesus starts to ask, isn't it? Turns to Peter. Do you have God's agape love for me? 
in a way that these other disciples, you know, more than them? More than they loved me? Do you love me more than that? And Peter responds saying, I have brotherly love. I love you as if you were my own brother. And Jesus asks again, do, do you love as God loves? I love you as a brother. It's, it's not the same. It's not the same level of love. And then Jesus asks, will you love me as a brother? And Peter responds, I love you as a brother. You know, there's that bouncing up. Jesus finds where the common ground is. He explores where the hope is. What will build up Peter? What will help him journey? What will help him be the person he has to be as a disciple? And Jesus puts that upon him. Each of these questions have added up. There's been three of the questions about love. And that's the same number of times that Peter had previously denied even knowing Jesus. I don't know him. No, I'm not one of his number. And he'd done that around a fire in the courtyard of the high priest on the night of Jesus' arrest. But those times of denial have cancelled. And Peter can now move on. But it's not a move on and just get on with the rest of your life, however you feel like it. Jesus asks something of Peter at each of these statements of love. He asks of Peter to, to feed my lambs and to tend my young sheep and to feed my young sheep. And classically, this, this passage is not only restoration, but it's sometimes taken of uh, Peter moving to um, more than an equal place among the disciples, uh, a place that's in a hierarchy almost above them. And so, following the ascension of the Lord, Peter is, is set to be the first earthly leader of the church, a, a pontiff, the, the mighty bridge builder between heaven and earth. Well, as reformed and continually reforming readers of the Bible, we might be inspired by the Spirit not to quite read the Scripture in the same way, instead identifying Peter as simply the first among equals, an example to us all. And we we get also a sense there that uh, as I was speaking just now, 
there's something about these sheep that he has to feed. I didn't say lambs, sheep, sheep, as it does in our Bible translation in the NIV. Because like there's different words for fish, there's different words for sheep. And sure enough, the, the word here, the first time when it's lamb, and it's translated as lamb. But the word for sheep is, you know, a young sheep. Take care of my young sheep. Feed my young sheep is closer to where the Greek lies. And the role of a disciple, even Peter, is to live for God and to make new disciples and encourage them to grow, encourage them to discover who they really are. And the focus on that stretch of newness, the young sheep. Words may have been jumbled. And questions may not always have been understood. But as the breakfast is eaten, so a new day begins. The disciples will become the teachers. And they will seek the growth of God's kingdom. May we grow as disciples. And may we in turn be able to feed the lambs and take care of new young sheep. Amen.